0: Matthew Charles spent 21 years of a 35-year sentence in prison for selling crack cocaine to an undercover officer. Thanks to retroactive sentencing laws passed by President Obama, Charles was released two years ago and has proven himself a model American. He has a steady job and a steady girlfriend. He volunteers every week at a soup kitchen. He's educated himself and proven to be a credit to the community. Yet, a federal court has ruled his release was an error, and the nonviolent Matthew Charles is locked up once more. There is something broken in the American justice system when nonviolent and even nonviolent first-time drug offenders like Alice Marie Johnson spend decades locked up while felons like the pedophilic Nathan Larson, who once threatened to kill the president and is currently running for Congress in Virginia, and Brock Turner, who raped an unconscious woman behind a dumpster, roam the streets free. Yes, there is something rotten in the state of justice. But in the coming week, you, the voters, as well as the president may have the power to change it. I'm
1: Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth. We're not going to ruminate on Roseanne's racism or Samantha Bee's sexism. Instead, sit down and have a drink with us as we discuss crime, punishment, and our power to change it. After a week of media fiascos, you'll need it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are drinking coffee. Come on. It's 10 a.m. on a Saturday. We're not alcoholics. Yeah. Anyways, this week, you know, there was a lot of when Tiana and I were kind of brainstorming for what we wanted to talk about on this podcast. There were honestly a lot of things. And I know we've kind of taken a hiatus. Um, Tiana and I both kind of just started new jobs. And so that's been super hectic. But with all of, I guess, the news stories that have been oscillating, it's easy to get caught up in the everyday drama and the dramatics that occur there. But there's also some overarching themes that we always feel from time to time on our podcast need to be addressed and kind of talk about the big picture issues. And I think something that really prompted that this week and our, and prompted, I guess our willingness to talk about the criminal justice system and all of those surrounding factors is the fact of, um, Kim Kardashian meeting with president Donald Trump in regards to, um, some pardons that President Trump is able to make and ones that he kind of actually hasn't made thus far. So on the podcast this week, we'll be talking about the criminal justice system at large, namely talking about the Brock Turner case and the ongoing, I guess, controversy that surrounds that and probably always will surround that case and surround that ruling, as well as Donald Trump and if he's really doing his part in in pardoning people and if he's pardoning the correct people. Yeah.
0: So, with regards to Trump, obviously, the big hoopla of the week was Kim Kardashian goes to the White House. Um, I'm just going to start this by saying that your Kim Kardashian has a sex tape jokes are as edgy as a butter knife. She had a sex tape and turned it into hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm pretty sure that she's in on the joke, too. Really not that edgy. Okay, that being said, I think there are a lot of valid reasons to be extremely supportive of her going to the White House, and I think there are a lot of valid reasons to criticize her. So... I know that everyone on the right strongly detested the fact that Obama had celebrities in office all the time. He brought Jay-Z and Beyonce into the situation room. I think that there is a line in terms of we don't need to listen to to famous celebrities describing to us tax policy or gun policy or Iran policy. There are a number of subjects that just you, you kind of need to be a full-time expert and dedicate a hundred percent of your working capacity to understanding, so it is kind of annoying when when we have celebrities telling us this is why we need a fifteen dollar minimum wage and they can't draw a price floor in the labor market stuff like that. however, that's it's unrealistic to think that celebrities are never going to want to use their celebrity for something good. I think that there are some issues that you definitely can get um research on or that you can get informed on in a reasonable amount of time. In the case of Kim Kardashian, so she read a Mike article about Alice Marie Johnson, who was a first-time nonviolent drug offender. So there's been a lot of debate over how wrong Alice Marie Johnson's actions were. She was considered by the by the prosecution um in her case over 20 years ago to be one of the masterminds of this cocaine trade it was like tons of cocaine that she was responsible for trading but i think that for a lot of millennials who are in favor of all sorts of drug legalization anyway this really isn't that problematic She acknowledges that what she did was a crime. She still spent 20 years in prison. I'm not saying let someone off scot-free, because the law still is the law. But, I mean, there is a case to be made of the fact that she's missed the birth of her grandchildren. She missed the birth of her great-grandchild. You know, she spent 20 years locked up. So, I mean, I think President Trump would be wise to pardon her. And especially considering this is a president who has said extremely racially insensitive insensitive things in the past. And I don't think... I don't know what Donald Trump's intentions are. I don't think that Donald Trump is inherently racist. I think he is very insensitive, because I think that he's lived a life of privilege where he doesn't really understand what the average person struggles with. And I think that this would be a great way to prove that he's not looking through... He's not looking at his presidency through the lens of race, but rather through the lens of of helping out the forgotten men and women of America. I think that this is... um, I mean, if you... This is Stephen Miller's point in a great Fox News opinion piece that he published yesterday about how Trump needs to stop pardoning wealthy swamp monsters and
1: start pardoning the forgotten men and women in America because that is who elected him. Well, that's what's extremely frustrating about Trump's lack of, I guess, uh, his lack of speed in in pardoning these people. I mean, someone like Alice Marie Johnson that should be a pardon. That's just so quick right away. We're not denying the fact, that Sienna said, we're not denying the fact that she did a crime and that there should be punishment for that. But what we're saying is when you look at other sentences for different crimes, for far more severe crimes that receive way less than a lifetime sentence or receive way less than serving 20 years behind bars for a nonviolent drug offense... What is really the rationale behind this, and where's that justice? Because when you're looking at someone like Brock Turner, and this is what prompted us to really talk about this case today, is when you're looking at someone like Brock Turner, who served, what was it, Tiana?
0: Brock Turner served, he was given a six-month sentence, and thanks to a law in California because of our prison overcrowding, he every day that he spent in prison without any disciplinary infraction meant that he'd get out a day early. So he was released after three months after being found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of sexually assaulting an unconscious woman. Exactly. So
1: that is a violent crime. That is a violent action. And that person is released in three months. Yet this is a nonviolent crime, not doubting the the fact that obviously, you know, having drugs on the streets and perpetuating that is awful and that leads to a lot of other trickle-down effects. But when you look at three months for violent rape crime versus 20 plus years, 20 years already served with more on the sentence for someone with a non-violent crime, that really just speaks volumes about how broken our criminal justice system is. And credit to Kim Kardashian, I think it's great when celebrities use their stardom and use their platform to really advocate for things that matter and to bring things into the spotlight for the general population that is maybe not reading political pieces and doesn't have their hand on the pulse of politics or on criminal justice reform. I think that's great because it brings these issues that, you know, maybe only a small amount of people care about who are really in tune with these issues and are keeping up on that news. And it brings it to the broader population and the general public. But I think an important thing to recognize And I think it's an important thing for celebrities to recognize and for Kim Kardashian to recognize is understanding that, yes, you may care about this issue. And yes, you know, you've brought it to this great stage and platform in which Donald Trump's willing to meet with you. But I think an opportunity that goes missed is for those celebrities to bring up with them and elevate with them experts that have devoted their lives to... Criminal justice reform or to whatever the issue is that is being brought to light, and bring those people with you to these meetings that you're able to get because of your stardom, because that's where real change could be made. When Kim went to the White House this week, all she did was bring one person. She brought the attorney for Alice Marie Johnson, in which she hired. And so, yes, that's great, but Kim could have used that opportunity to bring a panel of experts to speak to President Trump to. Get him to really understand how broken the criminal justice system is and not only make one pardon, but actually maybe influence, you know, a policy proposal that changes the lives of so many people, not just one person, because in a way, Alice Marie Johnson was obviously extremely unfortunate and unlucky to have received the sentence that she did, but she's extremely lucky that her case, which is just one of thousands of cases across the U.S., is one that has been brought to the spotlight. What happens to all those people who are in the exact same situation as her? Because this isn't a one-off case. This is something that happens thousands of times. What happens to all those people who are in the same situation as her and don't have Kim Kardashian on their side? I mean, in all fairness, I do know that she has
0: been in talks with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump for a while now. Um, And even Daily Mail got photos of Kim at Jared and Ivanka's home after, which is just weird to think about, you know? Yes. Um, Dragon energy, baby. (laughs) Um, But, so I I do think that that behind the scenes, she's been doing more from a a systemic perspective. Um, I, I think, realistically, Trump is someone who you appeal to pathos with, and I think that, Working, Trump is very story oriented. It's a reason why his State of the Union in January worked so well, because he likes using these sort of tiny microcosms of stories to understand issues. Clearly, I think that Jared is doing a lot more like behind the scenes. I mean, what else has he been given? He's been given the opioid crisis, China relations, Iran relations, Israel relations, and now
1: prison reform. So, um. But I, an important thing that I would like to know is Jared Kushner with prison reform. I think when people think about it, they think about how sentencing is done understanding and like trying to reduce the mandatory minimum sentencing for drug offenses that's what the current push has been and the current rhetoric has been about prison reform but with Jared Kushner his version of prison reform has really been more so oh let's make sure the conditions in prisons are better and but so I mean, that's an important thing to note when we're talking about Jared Kushner and prison reform that it may not be what people typically have been brought to think about in the past you know a couple years with the Obama administration with what prison reform has traditionally meant
0: I mean, everything's been a bit behind the scenes, but considering, like, what the pushback... I mean, okay, just if you think about the fact that you have Jeff Sessions as the Attorney General, I cannot think of someone in the Senate who was more tough on crime, who was more anti-drug, who was more... really as anti prison reform as you could possibly get. The fact that you have Jeff Sessions as the Attorney General and you still have Jared Kushner even trying... I personally think is extremely admirable. And this is someone whose life has been personally affected by someone in prison. You know, Jared Kushner's dad, Charles Kushner, spent, has done time in prison for, I mean, admittedly Charles Kushner deserves to be in prison because it's related to corruption charges and trying to bait his brother into sleeping with a prostitute and a bunch of crazy things. But but point is, I think that Jared does a personal investment in this. And also considering that, Jared was donating to Cory Booker like what 4 years ago. Jared Kushner's a Cosmopolitan Democrat. And if he's going to use the parts of 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 his leftism that I actually agree with because I think it's just civil libertarianism, so be it. Um what, okay, so ABC News reports that um that he's trying so in in as a part of his prison reform package that he's been trying to push through, which is really difficult at the time, just because the White House is not unilaterally behind this, he is trying to make it, um, he's trying to reform parole and probation laws, you know, so that way you don't have these situations in which non-violent offenders are sort of forever tethered to the system, because when you think about it, there, there are, there are... Two types of crime. There are the criminals that we want to rehabilitate, and there are the criminals that we just need to keep off the streets. Period. And I think that in the development of the war on drugs, and in and sort of in the grand trajectory of crime really spiking um, in like the seventies and in the eighties, and in trying to fight crime rates on the—or in trying to fight, like, violent crimes on the streets, a lot has gotten lost in the fray because—because drug trafficking used to be so related to violence and whatnot, and now I think people have a little bit more of an understanding that there's a massive difference between um, someone like a Matthew Charles who one-off was selling drugs individually versus someone like Alice Marie Johnson who was a part of a bigger drug trade, but still— that is different than actually committing the violent offense itself. And so I think that just to think of someone like, like, and and this then becomes a more deeply philosophical argument. I think that you can rehabilitate someone who has made a mistake out of desperation for money. I mean Alice Marie Johnson makes it clear that a lot of the reason why she fell into the drug trade at all was because she was just trying to make ends meet.
1: Well, that's the reason when a major- like Yeah, a majority yeah. of and people, most people fall don't into do for it. the
0: glitz and glamour. It's not cuz you want to pull the narcos thing. It's
1: because in a pinch, that's the easiest way to make money that's actually, you know, a, an amount that you can actually live off of because when you're working at McDonald's minimum wage in some States was, which is what $8 an hour. That's not really enough to be able to support yourself. And, and studies have shown that. Yeah. One thing that I do want to get into with a talk of hopefully Trump pardoning this woman, but not only that, I hope it goes beyond pardoning this woman and it goes into creating policies that, can you know retroactively reduce the sentencing for a lot of people that have been in a similar situation as Alice Marie Johnson but I want to look at the people that Trump has pardoned thus far because this is what totally enrages me and because the point of pardoning people is to understand that our criminal justice system although we may strive to make it the best it can be, regardless, it will never be perfect. It is not a one-size-fits-all mold precedent. Yeah, it's helpful, but regardless, each case is uniquely different from the other, and there are so many aspects to a case that you can't just put on this, slap on this one-size-fits-all mold, and it is, you know, the perfect system, and it's always just all the time. There are failures, and while we can work to reduce those at all costs, those will always still exist. So in my opinion, the point of a president having this power and this ability to pardon people is to be able to look at a case and understand, despite the criminal justice system's best efforts, somehow your case fell through the cracks, somehow we were not able to serve you justice, and you don't have the means to be able to appeal this properly, So I'm going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to pardon you because our criminal justice system has left you without a voice and it has done you an injustice. But when you look at some of the people that Trump has pardoned, that's not been the case. These have been wealthy individuals who have once had extremely prominent status in forms of U.S. government or business, who have all the resources in the world to be able to go through the appeals process. And if you have all the resources to hire a team of lawyers to go through the appeals process and as a white, wealthy guy, you're still found guilty, guess what? You know what? You're probably guilty and you probably should I mean, be in there.
0: I mean, I, th- I think it has a lot less... To- when it comes to wealth, I think it has a lot less to do with race and more just to do with raw wealth and power. You know, like, I don't think anyone is viewing Dinesh D'Souza's, uh, like, arrest through the lens of race so much as it is through just, you know, politics. Because, I mean, Dinesh was obviously a hyper-political figure at the time of his arrest.
1: But if you look at Joe Arpaio... Joe Arpaio, uh, yeah. Arpaio, like, that is
0: like... But again, I I wouldn't chalk that up to race. I would chalk that up to... I mean, Joe Arpaio is is a racist. But I don't think that... Trump didn't pardon Joe Arpaio because... Because Joe Arpaio is white. Trump pardoned Joe Arpaio because Trump is a double-edged sword. So for every gutsy thing Trump does that I think is for the incredible, like moving the embassy to Jerusalem, you get something like Trump thinking that Joe Arpaio is also a renegade, when really Joe Arpaio is just, is just a crazy person. Joe Arpaio is not a good guy. Joe Arpaio was responsible for basically treating prisoners like terrorists at Gitmo.
1: Well, that's um, what that's what my issue is, right? Yeah. So, and, why are we looking to pardon? So, basically, if you don't know the story of Joe Arpaio, he's um, he served as sheriff for 24 years in what was it, Arizona, Maricopa County, yeah. Um, and he's 85 years old, was convicted from was convicted for basically disproportionately. Um, putting Latinos in jail in awful, brutal conditions as if we're a third world country who, you know, allows for torture. And this guy was convicted for this, rightfully so. And he was Trump's first pardon in office. Yeah. If you're looking to pardon someone, why are you pardoning An 85-year-old guy who's committed these awful, egregious crimes, which, if we're talking about violent crimes, this is a violent crime in a a, way. It is. It is. It is a violent
0: crime. I mean, Joe Arpaio is a violent man. First
1: on your priority list to pardon is this guy. When we're looking at all of these injustices in the criminal justice system, all of these people who haven't been leaders of law enforcement, haven't been in politics aren't popular, don't have these voices, no one knows about them. However— And and you're looking to pardon this guy? Like, that's what's so um, egregious. Might I I add one
0: thing? I do think that Trump has become an exponentially better president throughout his tenure. I mean, when you think about about Trump when he was flanked by Michael Flynn, Steve Bannon, Omarosa, versus Trump now— with Mike Pompeo, someone who is, I think, reasonably good, actually... I mean, if, if you ignore all the crazy stuff with Trump on trade, the New York Times reported yesterday, there are no words to describe how good the economy is. The black and white unemployment rates have never been closer. So I so I do think it's... And, and the reason why I bring this up is because Trump started off his presidency pardoning... So Joe Oparo was, like, his first pardon... You know, Trump, Charlottesville was almost a year ago, or I guess it was, what, nine or ten months ago. Um, And that was, I think, one of the biggest low points of his presidency, to say there are very fine people on both sides, and one of those sides are Nazis who hate, you know, Jews and black people. If Trump actually could focus for five seconds on not pardoning his friends, not pardoning people just to pave the way for him to pardon Paul Manafort and Carter Page... If he could actually think that he has this grand opportunity to consider the fact that 9.5% of white people report having used illegal drugs in the last month. 10.5% black people report the same. So those are pretty comparable numbers. 332 white people per 100,000 residents are arrested for drug-related offenses. 879 black people are arrested per 100,000 residents for drug related defenses if donald trump could pass one single bill to change our drug related crime sentencing to reform it republicans would not lose another election for at least another 20 years. But you know what's... uh, This is... is, Trump would do more for the black community than Barack Obama ever did in eight years if Trump was able to do that.
1: But you know what's absolutely ridiculous is, like, I agree with that, but what's absolutely ridiculous is there are so many good reasons to pass that bill when looking at the numbers. Like, honestly, like, public opinion or political opinions, you know, that can be hearsay. But when you're looking at straight-up raw statistics, how is it... How is it... How is there any reasonable doubt... That the criminal criminal justice system fails people that are black, fails people who don't have financial means to stick up for themselves. How is there any reason to argue against criminal justice ref- reform when you look at those numbers that Tiana just said? And by the way, th- th- those were reported in a brilliant Vox article. If you guys want to check that out, that's where I read those statistics. I don't know about you, Tiana, but They're Vox does a great job of breaking that down. The FBI and the well. Um, and. I just think, like, I agree with you, Republicans would be unstoppable. And, and the thing is, they have that opportunity with majorities in the House and Senate. They have that opportunity before these November elections when we don't know what's gonna happen. Maybe Democrats will flip a few seats, right? And so the priority should not be on these privileged people that are sitting in jail currently for these crimes that they did commit Should be on these people who don't have a voice and so until trump decides to take on that perspective every pardon he makes for someone that is privileged and someone that is maybe his buddy and someone that is wealthy is in a way an abuse of power because he could be using that power for good and he's not doing that right now and i hope to see that change Honestly, as a Democrat, I would love to see Republicans do that bill. This isn't about partisan politics; it's about doing the right thing. Yeah, and and and, and
0: again, so with regards to the whole trumping a double edged sword thing, so you have the bad, you have him pardoning swamp monsters, but you also have him. He pardoned he posthumously pardoned Jack Johnson, and the reason why this is significant is because Jack Johnson obviously has been dead for a very long time. He was he was arrested under a law that technically was supposed to be used for human trafficking but really was used just to incriminate black men for for marrying white women it was it was he was technically arrested for for crossing a state white lines. woman of, over state lines um, who was his wife so the there's, fact the fact is obama girlfriend. or that was his girlfriend at the time yeah obama had the opportunity to pardon jack johnson but didn't you know i mean like this is a lot of stuff that and that's why we're not even going to get into the immigration thing at all but there was the big hoopla over the photos from 2014 that are being shared of of children who were basically under federal authority and like the conditions they were kept in and all these reporters were sharing it and then they realized it was from 2014 while obama was president and then everyone deleted them the fact is obama had the opportunity to change these things that are egregious that should be changed But he didn't. And I am hoping that Trump is sort of, in a way, I I want to call it childlike, but I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm not even dismissing it. I actually kind of admire it, where if you dare him to do something, he kind of will take it on. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that I think Trump has done that I think people wouldn't expect. I mean, Trump obviously has his rhetoric problems. He obviously has been living in a weird place for like a long time, but you still have. His RNC was the first time you had Peter Thiel on stage saying he's proud to be Republican. He's proud to be gay. And that is a big deal when you consider how far the Republican Party has come in terms of LGBTQ rights.
1: Well, Trump's also in such a unique position compared to Obama in being able to... Actually, pass way more meaningful laws and legislation because of the these historic this historic moment that we're living in, where he has Republicans have the leadership in the White House, and they have majorities in the House and Senate. And I Obama did have
0: that for two years,
1: but he has this position to be able to pass these laws and to get like I, if I were him, I'd be pushing this stuff before the midterms. That's only going to help yeah. out the Republican Party. So. I mean, yeah, it's great that he pardoned Jack Johnson. But when you look at the fact that this guy passed away in 1946, and this is more of just, you know, a memento than anything, when he could pardon real-life living people who are currently affected by this, that's the more meaningful aspect. And so I hope that happens. Um, you know, looking living in California, we're looking toward... Um, our primary vote in the state, which is June 5th on Tuesday. And so along with not only a lot of candidates being on the ballot, in which um, there's actually some very contested races um, between Republicans and Democrats for congressional seats in in California. Because although California as a whole, because of the big cities, is obviously a blue state, there are a lot of pockets in California that are Republican. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But there are also... Um, measures on the ballot that advocate for and that voters will be voting for on Tuesday to move forward, um, really meaningful things. Namely, is the recall of the judge that, that did the ruling on the Brock Turner case in Santa Clara County up north in California.
0: Yeah, so it's, so it's voters of Santa Clara and San Jose counties are able to vote for, to recall Judge Aaron Persky. So, just as a reminder for the Brock Turner case, although I think it's still sort of in everyone's mind, minds, it, so two years ago, Brock Turner was sentenced to six months in jail for three different counts of sexual assault. I think it was related to, so it was sexual assault, and then the fact, so that's one count, the other count being that she was incapacitated, the other count being that she was intoxicated. So it's not, there are, and I'm going to get to the people who, who are actually Bo- Brock Turner truthers in a moment. Don't worry. They will have their time. But it's not really that much in dispute, considering that there were two witnesses who came and basically saved Emily Doe. Um, there were these two Swedish international students on bicycles who saw Brock Turner like pretty violently assaulting her, and they were able to attack him and get the cops there. And, I mean, how do you know that they weren't just making it up? The police said that 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 when when they went to go question one of the Swedes, he was crying so hard from what he had seen that he couldn't even speak. So that's how horrifying and violent of a crime this is. I mean, Brock Turner is a thug. So another thing to consider about this Brock Turner case. So I, the, I just want to go on the background first so we can understand why the Aaron Persky ruling was so dangerous. So, Brock Turner, according to Daily Mail, took a photograph of Emily Doe's breast during the attack and shared it with his swim team friends, who then he then then he wiped it from his phone. But the police credibly believed that that happened because they had evidence of it from a group me. Earlier that week, um, he had earlier that week, he had apparently been physically aggressive with another girl or maybe even multiple girls. He also had a history of drug use. But you know, that was never even brought up as a charge because why why would he? He was a he was a he was a very famous and talented swimmer who went to Stanford. So, point is, he was found guilty on 3 different charges of sexual assault beyond a reasonable doubt with rape kits, with witnesses
1: on every single front, which by and, the way is far more evidence to convict someone of rape than most people who aren't as privileged and who aren't Stanford white swimmers ever have and are con- convicted on rape charges yeah. for far longer sentences. Yeah, spills.
0: no. So I mean, so in a way, this case was was remarkable because a a wealthy Stanford swimmer did go to prison. On the other hand, it shows. I mean, I think this was really the precursor to Me Too in the sense, like Me Too isn't about it isn't about women being like it's an act of violence for men to be more in STEM than women are. I I don't buy into that, but it is about the idea of taking crimes like rape and like very serious harassment in the workplace seriously. Absolutely. Um, And like taking them and believing women trust but verify. I mean obviously like some women do lie. That is just a fact. But the overwhelming majority just don't. I mean what is the reason to? So I bring all of this up to point out that it is insane that Persky gave a, th- a six-month sentence for three separate counts of, a, of violent offenses. Like, if we just look at it in terms of violence. Yet, wherever a woman credibly accuses someone of rape and then is found to be correct by a beyond a reasonable doubt, you will always have the Brigade of Truthers who come out Brock Turner for Truth uh, was a website for a while, uh, but then they, you know, had to get rid of that. Um, so now, there's a Stanford professor, uh, I believe her name is Michelle Daub.
1: Who, Dobber who, who is... Who is an absolute badass, for the record. So she's
0: calling, so she started the initiative to recall Judge Aaron Persky. If successful, it will be the first judicial recall in...
1: Seven, er, Since 1936 or 32, I want to say. Okay, yeah, so in There's only years. been two in history. Yeah,
0: so in 80 years. So this will be a huge deal. And her, so she has sort of two arguments of it.
1: Well, to go into the recall aspect for people who don't know, um, it's also um, unique to only a few states where the public can vote to have a judge unseated. And yeah. so this has only happened two times in history because... That's how much our institutions protect those yeah. within it. Yeah, and it, and and it and it would be, it could be notable in the sense that previous.
0: So when when legislators feel like judges aren't giving proper sentences, that's when they usually pass mandatory minimums. So Dauber argues that by by recalling Persky. It could sort of be another way of judicial accountability without increasing mandatory minimum sentencing. That being said, I have no problem increasing mandatory minimums for rape and sexual assault. It doesn't really bother me. That's sort of in like the category of crime. I, I just don't really know how rehabilitated you can be if and especially the argument of Brock Turner. He's his life is ruined for what his dad said. It, the rest of his life is ruined for 20 minutes of action. Um, this he clearly had a history of doing this. I mean, that's it was well reported that he was aggressive with women before this. He took a photo of a girl's breasts while he was sexually assaulting her and sent it to his friends. So, I mean don't don't give me the one mistake thing
1: and what also isn't taken into account is you know the judge like brock turner himself his father and the judge are talking about how his life could be ruined and forever impacted by this decision by this 20 minutes of action quote from the father yet why aren't we taking more into account the life that was ruined on the other side of things emily doe um Also, one of the, I guess, counter arguments to this recall campaign against Judge Persky, if it is to be successful, is that people are saying, well, what if judges suddenly have to worry that lenient sentences could lead to public outrage and a recall campaign? Maybe that means that they'll err towards harsher sentences, thus kind of perpetuating mass incarceration. In my opinion, that is a BS argument. Judges should not be worried about Public opinion when they rule on a case. They should be worried about justice. That's what they're there for. Um, I think the fact that Brock Turner served three months for a, a violent rape offense is a problem about privilege. It's a problem about wealth. It's a problem about being an athlete. And that's not what's leading to mass incarceration if we recall this judge for this ruling what's leading to mass incarceration are these nonviolent offenses yeah, I mean far more that people. are disproportionately against people who are disadvantaged and so that is an argument that i like to call out on the spot and just say recalling someone for erring on the side of a privileged man is not what the issue is with mass incarceration in this country at all and so that's why this recall campaign that's that's why this recall campaign should be successful and why this guy should be taken off the bench. Um, also, when addressing this case and addressing this recall campaign, something that I found absolutely just awful and disgusting was that Judge Persky basically compared his decision to essentially let Brock Turner off with... A slap on the
0: wrist. A slap
1: on the wrist, if that. He never said, I'm sentencing you because you did a bad thing. I'm sentencing you because what you did was wrong. He said, I'm sentencing you so lightly because I don't want to ruin your life. There's an issue there to begin with. But he essentially compared his ruling to the Brown v. Board of Education ruling, which was... Obviously, the landmark civil rights decision against segregation in public schools. And his quote was... Just the sheer audacity. His quote was, Imagine for a moment if those federal judges had been subject to judicial recall in the face of that unpopularity. Essentially comparing the unpopularity of his decision for letting someone off with a three-month rape sentence... When the maximum proposed sentence was 14 years and what Brock Turner's attorneys went for was six years. He let him off for three years and he is comparing the unpopularity of that decision to the unpopularity at the time of desegregation. Obviously a good thing. Let me know when letting people off for rape sentencing in the future will ever be considered a good thing. No. So, and then, here's the thing. This isn't even, like, oh, one-off bad decision, you know?
0: 20 minutes of a decision ruining ruining Persky's life. Okay, this is, I mean, God, Persky's decisions, rulings, are more like a rap sheet than anything else. So, okay, so, this is from an incredibly uh, well-researched piece by Julia Yoffie at the Huffington Post. So, she sort of details it here. So, Persky, um was ruling on a case about a man who was accused of pretty brutal domestic violence against his fiance,
1: who was a software engineer, again, someone wealthy with privilege. so the so and he
0: pleaded no contest to battery. and Persky sentenced him to seventy two days. In the county jail. And again, with California's rule it's rules, I meant 36 days in jail for beating up his fiancee into a bloody pulp.
1: Um, and then there are other cases By of- the way, that guy, although he got 72 days, was able to serve those sentences was able, to, sorry, to serve that sentence on the weekends so that he didn't have to lose his job as a software engineer. And Persky even advocated for reducing his crime to a misdemeanor, as if, what, was it an open container drinking in public? Is that, like, that's what we're comparing battery to? To which the girlfriend and the victim of this domestic violence said in the court when the ruling came out, she said... What, could I have asked for a discount on my beating when my, what was it, my boyfriend yeah. or my husband was beating me? Could I have asked for a discounted beating, but yet this guy gets such a discounted sentencing? So this isn't a one-off time no. where maybe and then, this judge had a lapse in judgment. This is a, a a record and a resume of systemic, I guess, lack of compassion. I mean, in 2015, Ikaika
0: Gunderson, 21... Again, domestic violence against his ex-girlfriend, beating her up into a bloody pulp, pleads no contest to felony count of domestic violence, and he could have gone up to four years, and Persky instead gave him a deal, and it was, he could delay sentencing to Gunderson for a year, so he could go to University of Hawaii to play football, and he'd have to go to AA and a domestic violence program, I believe. Um... However, the deal was then off after he was arrested for another domestic violence charge because he beat up his father. So it's just it just continually there is a relationship between him cutting deals and giving the benefit of the doubt to 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 men accused of of gender-based offenses, um, of assaults, and and I understand the judicial independence move, but the fact is, judges still get. Unseated all the time for acting outside the confines of the law. I mean, let's just consider, do you guys remember uh, uh, Mr. Judge Roy Moore who also had a problem with women and also was unseated from the bench for making bad rulings? And again, this is different because it, because it is up to the voters. Um, but it's still, this is not, I, I think that, that everyone who's fighting this, I think there are two types of people who fight this. The people who are cautious of radical change and that like tends to be conservatives and that i understand i understand if you say okay there is a judicial independence argument i i'm, not, I'm confused about this i don't know is this a good response is this too emotional a response but then there is an ugly underbelly of what i've been calling the me too truth or brigade but really you just find the cream of the crop of them um in this brock turner case so uh Oh, good. Okay, so we get to get into what I consider one of the worst corners of the internet. So, there is a website called Help Save Our Sons, and it's, um, it's a website that's meant to be a resource uh, site for men accused of rape and sexual assault on college campuses. It's a resource guide, you know, for uh, to fight the evil women who lie about them. One of the entries Help is... Help Save Our Rapists. It's Compassion for Brock Turner. And... So, this woman, Alice True, says, I have compassion in my heart for Brock Turner because I care. He should not have to endure bloodthirsty, cancerous hate 24-7, nor should his family be subjected to a continuous stream of vicious, mob, of vicious mob attacks. The merciless attacks on Mr. Turner's family should cease. And if people actually read the enormous amount of factual information about his case, they would have compassion for Brock Turner, too, and understand why he is appealing. Okay, okay, so so we should have compassion for a man who... who when a woman allegedly fell behind a dumpster, instead of helping her back up, he decided to thrust his hand up her unconscious vagina to the point where it was bruised and scraped, and she had to get a rib kit done and send, be sent to the hospital. We should have compassion for that. Okay, so if if I don't, I have two sisters. Who would I rather have them on a on in a dark alley alone with? Alice Marie Johnson and Matthew Charles, or Brock Turner? I would rather a thousand times over them be with Alice Marie Johnson and Matthew Charles than I would ever want them to be within eyesight of this vicious monster Brock Turner. And just the amount of people. So you have so uh, Cynthia Garrett is one of the attorneys who fights for um, FACE, which is another one of these campus quality, like, you know pro, I'm gonna call it fairly a pro due process organization, although I uh, given how much research I've Done to these these organizations, it's, I, I think Fire is a much better produce process organization than Face. Um, she argues that um, there are lots of issues with with that trial, referring to the People versus Brock Turner, including the Stanford law professor who decided it was her mission to ruin Turner's life and destroy any chance he has in the future for touching the vagina of a girl who was going to his room with him to have sex. I just think that it's really interesting how we don't think about it as, should we have ruined Matthew Charles' life for selling someone a thing that our society has decided to make illegal, but we do think of it as, as the evil forces that be who made Brock Turner do this thing to ruin his life, right?
1: And that's that's the fundamental issue with why our criminal justice system is the way it is, because that's how people look at things. And as much as with this Me Too movement, a lot of men are thinking, oh, women are out to get me. You see in the Brock Turner case, it's like women out to get women. You see a lot yeah. of females speaking up in Brock Turner's yeah. support. And what I'm looking at is... When you're looking at a crime, when you're looking at the reason people go to jail, it's because they pose a risk to society, and society needs to be protected from them. And the point that Tiana made is, who would she rather her sisters be in an alley with? Would she rather than be with Alice Marie Johnson, or would she rather than be with Brock Turner? And when you can take it and look at it like that and see that 10 times out of 10, you would rather than be with Alice Marie Johnson over Brock Turner, that right there is what tells us, how we should sentence these individuals. And when someone gets 20 years for a non-violent offense and someone gets three months for an extremely violent offense, there is a fundamental issue there. So I think moral of the story of what Tiana and I have been saying this entire time is that this needs to be brought out into the light because people are talking about it, but it's not in people who are in the ability to make changes faces and I think we're at a stepping stone with Kim Kardashian obviously speaking at the White House with Donald Trump about pardoning Alice Marie Johnson. But I think both of our hopes is that this doesn't go beyond one pardon. I mean, sorry, this isn't just limited to one pardon. It goes beyond that and some reform is made. And I think this is not something that is a partisan issue. This is something that everyone can get behind. I think If we're looking at dangerous to society, why wouldn't we want people who are actually more dangerous to other individuals behind bars and people that are less dangerous actually have the chance to be rehabilitated? Because you know what? If you have a history of violence, of hurting people, you are probably more likely farther from being able to be rebuilt rehabilitated than someone who sells drugs because they need the money. I think if we're looking at an ability to actually reform our citizens and make them Good people that are contributing to society, we should take those chances and we should spend those resources on people who are nonviolent offenders. Yeah,
0: and I mean, sort of as a final thought, at least on my end. So, there was someone who tweeted something that got, like, 128 likes just as a response to something. And I'm just not going to use a person's name because I don't think they're, like, a public figure. And I'm not trying to bully this person. Um, So, they just said, don't get me wrong here. Me Too is excellent for raising awareness of sexual harassment and assault. But the trial by media direction in which it's gone is wrong. What happened to due process in court of law? Brock Turner happened to due process in a court of law. Decades of allegations against Harvey Weinstein being known by the police and then being shut down by the police happened to due process in a court of law. Decades of allegations being made about Larry Nassar happened to due process in a court of law. And I think that what we're seeing Me Too is the reaction to the to due process in a court of law. So utterly failing predominantly women, but still men and boys. And I think that if you compare something like Black Lives Matter, which I think a lot of libertarians such as myself think that it came from a good place, there was one question that ruined the potential of Black Lives Matter to be a culturally unanimous shift of public opinion. And that was, do Black lives matter or do all lives matter? This question became a question of semantics. It was used to divide. It was used to put conservative white people in the corner of saying, well, of course all lives matter, but I'm just saying, and vice versa. I think that there is this interesting intersection between the weird radicalism of Donald Trump, the Me Too moment, and this question of prison reform that can all sort of intersect at once to become a greater question, not of identity politics, not of uh, Feminists kill all men Not of White lives don't matter But of justice But of Can the people Who actually do the bad things Face justice And can the ones Who have made mistakes That are non-violent And that have proven That they are willing To be rehabilitated Be treated like humans Instead of like animals And
1: I think anyone In the political system In the political realm That stands in the way of that Should really step down Because This isn't about Politics This isn't about there's no room for people who are racist here. There's no room for people who don't want minorities to succeed. And you know what? As Republicans, if you don't believe maybe in social services, you don't believe maybe in welfare to the extent that Democrats do. If you don't believe in that stuff, okay, fine. That's just, you know, how to spend money. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't believe that these people deserve justice and should be out of jail and other people should be in jail, then that's a serious problem, that's a serious issue. We can disagree on how to spend tax dollars, sure. But if we're disagreeing on justice, then that's a major issue. And so that's why I would like to see, if if Donald Trump's the guy to do this, great. I don't have an issue with that as a Democrat. Do I believe, yeah, maybe will that be harder for Democrats to get elected in the future because that's on the resume of a Republican administration? Sure, but if that's for the best of everyone, Amazing, absolutely. And so, I mean, I hope people come to their senses moving forward, but you also have to be realistic in that there's a lot of roadblocks that exist in politics that have been built up from the test of time, whether it be from an agenda on racism, because let's not deny the fact that that still exists, whether it be an agenda against people who are economically disadvantaged or whatever the agenda may be, those roadblocks exist and the hopeful hopefully wow optimistic person in me would like to think that we can get past that um but obviously all we can hope for is progress and hope that um changes are made to move in the right direction so rather than trump pardoning people who have committed crimes and people who are wealthy and yes maybe like there's a case to be made that they deserve to be pardoned i would like way more urgency placed on this
0: in short um listeners uh or bay area listeners please consider voting yes on recalling judge aaron persky june 5th Um, and everyone in california please vote these elections are going to be interesting i think that at a congressional level and at a and um And even at the gubernatorial election, we have a lot of chance to make moves. We do not need to have Gavin Newsom as our governor. John Cox and Villaraigosa are fighting for second, and we have a jungle primary. This is me just coming out there and saying, all of my fellow conservatives in California, please get out and don't let Villaraigosa be the person who is to fight against Gavin Newsom. I swear to God, it will be like voting between a douche and a turd come November. Please consider voting for John Cox okay. and
1: Pat Harris for Senate. I'm canvassing for him this weekend. Have to say that uh, he's, a he's trying to Democrat, take down. He's, he's trying really to take nice. down Feinstein, who he's not a swamp monster. Has been there for like a quarter of a decade, and he only wants to run one term quarter of a, quarter of a century. Yeah, so. <laughs> quarter, of a century. Sorry, quarter of a century. He only wants to run one term, so everyone, please just get out and vote. I know it's only a primary election, but now more than ever, they matter whether you're Democrat or yes, Republican. Yes, please I don't just care, get out and vote. vote.
0: Okay, all right. Um,
1: done with our rant. Anyways, uh, as we'll always, we are getting back onto regular programming. These podcasts might be coming out on Saturdays just because I'm somewhat in the real world and working nine to five. Um, you can check us out on our website, thepoliticalpregame.com. As always, like, subscribe, whatever, or comment something negative. If you have something negative to say, we don't care. That's your freedom. Um, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes, whatever your preferred platform is. Tiana's Twitter is at 1st I'm at Avery Hogarth. I promise I'll be back on my Twitter game. If I ever really did have a Twitter game, I don't know. And uh, take care, guys. Have a great week, and happy voting whenever your primaries may be this summer. Um, just get out and vote.